Well, a guinea chorus, a year Kaliaka, a Kaloshna Huskaragana, Verengator Chess, Tofirkin Fulcher of Galerka de Orsanuktron, Tronona, Agastris Lim, Levas and Lauer, Toshir Misha, and Asan Lauret. Quimsha Hoksha, Agasse, it Nahuiter eats Nadinish Green, a capital, Mila Buikas, Marquinsha Gomor, Lenar, the Tishkent, we course this star in a Tirisha. I just want to say how welcome you all are, uh, friends and former colleagues and in the of University College Galway, and indeed those of you who are otherwise connected with what I think is a very fine book. Thanks. And in uh, may I say uh, uh, straight away um, how valuable the book is going to be. I think that we're in a, a period of time now where um, we're challenged uh, in terms of the maybe as well having a, a, a historiography that uh, is adequate both in relation to the past and the present and the future. I had a message from Garrod Otuhiks in relation on Velin. He has an, a family event that he can't be here with us. But I thought I, I today when I was reading the book and just going through it again. I had read it fast the first time. I want to uh, pay tribute to Four Courts Press for uh, uh, bringing it out and, and presenting it uh, uh, so well. We've been uh, uh, through a period in 2016 where we were quite challenged as to how we were going to speak about uh, the events of 1916 and afterwards. Uh, I spoke at hundreds of events myself, both at home uh, uh, and abroad. But in the course of it, there were some fine uh, reflections on the distinction between recalling and remembering and commemorating and celebrating. And each one of those uh, challenged us to, I think, think about what we were about. I think there would have been a reasonable consider a reasonable worry that there would be an attempt to make recalling the past serve present purposes. And indeed, when I look back now on the, the period of 2016, there were certain uh, difficulties that I had myself in relation uh, to uh, relating to audiences. There were some very, very important, I can't remember hundreds of ones I gave, but for example, speaking to the relatives of those who were in, who had lost lives and were in prison shortly after 1916, that was very straightforward. But it's interesting to me what, as how difficult it was uh, to get in the discourse the acceptance of any critique of empire uh, or imperialism. It really strikes me as interesting as well that it's almost equivalent of the difficulty you would have in today's conversations in contemporary literature of getting space for an adequate critique of neoliberalism. Uh, there are certain, as it were, what I call uh, gated conversations and gated discourses, rather like those people who like to feel secure in case the neighbours would come, or most, most of all, the people of the street. 
I think that the book is so interesting because what it is, Garrod in his introduction correctly says that it gives a number of perspectives and it's written uh, uh, with a great attention to detail. Garrod's contribution as well specifies how, if you like, valuable it is uh, when uh, family memories are placed in context where can, they can be checked for accuracy. And that uh, gives you a whole approach that will will last in relation to the attempt to the periodization of history. We're about to enter the, the we're about to enter the, the most difficult period, really. I think the period from goes on past 1923. I know when I was thinking about it as well. The is as people give when you're. The periodization of history is interesting because Eric Hobsbawm, for example. Uh, spoke about, you know, the long 19th century, speaking from the National Assembly at Versailles in 1789, to what I like to call the collision of empires, that is the 1914 First World War. Again, an interesting distinction there in relation to the way that people commentary. Very few people use the phrase the Great War now, because they have come to terms with the generations that were wiped out, and the great cost of the human sacrifice. It's saying it is the First World War or whatever has a different resonance to referring to it as the Great War. And some even have gone so far as you know, serious historians to use the phrase the Great Catastrophe. I think we're taking the two points I've mentioned as well. It has been very difficult even in that period, and as we're coming up to 2018, uh, to, to actually have an adequate critique of how it came to be uh, this imperialist, this collision of empires, as I call it. It's interesting that when Hobsbawm was doing the other period, which was describing, for example, uh, I, I just, on the first one, to justify what I have just said about uh, why the, what I would have reluctance myself about ever using the phrase Great War, is that the, the number of, of casualties at the Battle of Flanders is 850,000 casualties during the, the battle. It's hard for us to... to envisage the scale uh, of the loss of life that was involved there. When Eric Bonsall was describing another period, he refers to the short 20th century, which came to say there isn't uh, much celebration yet uh, about the Russian Revolution in Ireland. Uh, uh, but that period that began with the storming of the Winter Palace, and which of course runs on to the ending of the Soviet, to Soviet Union. I might say that as well. Uh, there seems to be a certain re reluctance to uh, write and uh, recall the Limerick Soviet, for example, uh, which was a few fortnight of when people decided to run the Limerick city in a different way. And then, of course, there's Castle Comer, and then you could move on and say there are several others. It's well worthwhile when a book like this comes out. It asks us questions not only of what's in it, but uh, of uh, what it is we're not actually uh, talking about. I want to pay tribute to the authors and really uh, to Kira and uh, Sarah and Pat Oliver for a very book, fine book for all of these reasons. I, I think I mentioned that we're coming to a new period, uh, 2018. Uh, uh, I think 
running on. I, I would run the period. I noticed that the second report, the second statement of principles by the expert advisory group uh, of the government on commemorations uh, is, has decided to run on to include the period of the Civil War. I think that's very welcome. I would, in fact, actually encourage them to run it on to, to the foundation of the state, uh, because there are continuities and constants in relation to the foundation of the state which are very important, particularly in relation to the role of women, and also in relation to the, government, the kind of government that came into place in 1923, the continuities between, for example, the Treasury, which stayed for seven years, and established a form of hegemony with the Department of Finance and other departments, for which a rather heavy price has been paid. When all of your trust is lodged, for example, in the Department of Finance, and you get the experience of 2008, you begin to ask yourself. Therefore, you also take issues of rural depopulation, immigration, increasing and deepening poverty in different sectors of the society, as we have only recently seen in relation particularly lone parents. One wonders about this hegemony. And again, you have to look at that period to try and understand how it all came to be. I think that the Civil War, uh, I know that uh, Tom Boylan's piece in relation to Father O'Donnell, he describes about us attending the funeral. I attended the funeral with Tom, I think, in, uh, on of Padre O'Donnell. Um, it was the most interesting thing. I think in the car with us as well was Nola Gogaira, uh, whose daughter has just recently written a, a book about Nola's life. It was an extraordinary... We had many conversations on the way. Uh, quite a seminar, if you had the late Nola Gogaira in a car with you, but uh, I remember... Uh, I, I knew Padre O'Donnell very well, uh, from the time he functioned as, for example, established chancellor when the Reagan visit took place to, to Galway and people were handing back their doctorates and late Patchern and others, we were called with great passion, with, often with great sadness. I associate O'Donnell with one thing in particular, and that is the powerful piece on the front page of the Irish press after the last train brought home the coffins to Achill. Uh, which is the last train to Acre, and therefore the, the Bothy fire uh, in Scotland. And the powerful way which, if you like, in relation to journalism, he opens that. They say it was a fire, they say it was this, and then he goes immediately to say it was the economic system that drove people into migration that put them into this vulnerable situation, which is again thing in relation to the point that Gareth makes and the point that this book makes, the value of placing family recall in context. And I think, therefore, when we finished the business about I noticed different people have been writing accounts of their contribution to 2016, the Army and how it remembered, and the Department of Arts, Culture, and Gaithut and Heritage, how they have remembered. Uh, I have very clear memories myself about what was involved in the task of remembering. I would say that it was necessary as well to establish a principle of correction and by that principle of correction, I mean, really, is that we had come through a period where it had been suggested that the, what was the problem in Irish historiography uh, was that we had been unable to critique our nationalist assumptions, and that when this would have been done, we would have been respectable enough then to deal with those who, at the same time, were holding fast and having no critique in relation to their assumptions. 
I'm delighted that the representatives of Father Shaw are here, and it is represented. Um, Garrod refers to the essay, I think, as notorious. Uh, one way or another, would you regard it as notorious, or indeed the majority regarded one way or another as seminal, and indeed it was. Uh, uh, Father Shaw says, uh, 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 wonderful um, essay. I think um, E.P. Thompson referred to what happens in history and those are left out. If I think one of the small successes of the 2016 remission was uh, uh, the, the, the inclusion of women. They are systematically left out in 1966. Uh, it's only one of the aspects of the exclusion of women. There's also the discrimination between levels of exclusion. Uh, you, you'll have all, because you have all known as well as I do, that the widows of the signatories were treated differently to the widows of those who had been in 1916 but were not signatory. And then there were all the widows who were excluded altogether, and indeed, Anishi Skelton and others knew uh, very much about that. I think I want to just, I found it, that you must excuse me I mean, using this opportunity, I used it as an opportunity of reflecting myself on what I'd been doing during 2016. Uh, there were people as well, E.P. Thompson writes of those who have been excluded in history, be it on the basis of class or gender or race, as suffering from what he calls the enormous condescension of posterity. There's a lot to be said for that. I think that uh, I like to write, when I speak, and I've sometimes asked what do I mean about the ethics of memory. I'm really speaking about being open to new material, being open to suppressed and excluded stories. I was astonished, for example, uh, uh, to find, even in relation to two sisters, Countess Markvick and Eva Booth, when I gave a lecture to Eva Go on Eva Booth to the British TUC in London, very few people were aware of her enormous contribution uh, to uh, representation of women workers in Manchester. And it was not unrelated to the partnership that she had uh, with the, the person with whom she shared her life. I'm delighted that there is included in the book as well the experience of those who were involved in a great contradiction, those who knew their neighbours, tried to keep their neighbours safe, but who were members of the RAC. And then again, those, for example, who, if you like, uh, found themselves in the, in the front line of the conflict uh, when, when, it, when, uh, when the rising had taken place. I think it's very important also that one of the great advantages of this, and I think, uh, is how uh, located, if you like, the, ri the rising of 1916 was, and how very few places rose actually around the country, uh, Galway being one of them and, 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 and so forth. Sometimes, if you like, if you like a romantic history, would mention suggesting that the whole country rose instantly. Of course, it's only after the executions and after the incredible abuses in law, which wouldn't end uh, in that period or decade, uh, that we, we people began to get a better historiography. What the book gives us is, I think, is texture, uh, and, uh, and and I think that's important. May I finish by saying something that is. Uh, I don't approach any of this academically. 
uh, I, I would add, I think these stories here are, are written at some cost as well because it involves going back into family archives and matters upon which families are not, uh, for example, always agreed. Uh, I found, for example, as I was being asked questions during 2016 and before that, about it would have been very easy leave out the role of my uncle Peter, who was a member of the Irish Army in 1923 in Renmore Barracks. People are far more interested in asking me about my father, who uh, was in, interned in 1923 and who was one of the later people released. In relation to both my father and my uh, uncle, uh, uh, both were involved in the flying column, both of their health was very, very badly damaged by the period and so forth. But they had very different experiences which revealed something else. And why it is painful to me to think about, we should certainly not stop at 1923, because the exclusion of those who had taken the anti-treaty side after 1923 was outrageous. I've mentioned already the discrimination between, for example, women and widows who were applying for different uh, recognitions, but it got worse insofar as there was a systematic exclusion of, the, the, uh, of those who had taken the anti-treaty side, and even after 1934, some of the women began to get some redress, which would then move on in relation to 1956. I looked at material myself, and could tell you that some of the people who had taken the anti-treaty side, let's say North Kerry, 80% uh, of the people in the brigades immigrated to America uh, because uh, they, was, they felt so excluded. Here we have here, framed in this house here, the letter of uh, my father's uh, first, one of his first applications when he was being asked to provide information uh, for a pension is that he worked uh, for 130 uh, pound, Euro, pounds, as it were then, uh, a year for benches of Charleville with 30 pounds travelling expenses. After 1923, uh, no one would hire someone who had been interned, so he started life all over again at 50 pounds a year in Newbridge. Interestingly, that review in 1956, he got a partial pension, and uh, th that was because a member of the, the Skeffington family was in fact actually in charge of their decisions in relation to appeals on pensions. And he felt that unreasonable uh, uh, questions were being asked of people even 20 and 30 years afterwards. Like, can you please give details of who was present with you at the attack on the barrack at Kilmalach or whatever, like these kind of things. And uh, this was an outrageous action by the, by the state. It was originally partisan as it began in the 1930s and 30s, but it continued right through. And uh, I do remember the, the one of the things which is st still with me is that even after the, the uh, which I haven't spoken about before, after the death of my father and uh, my, my mother getting uh, a correspondence with the Department of Defence as to whether or not she had sent back his cheque for the partial pension because he hadn't actually lived a full month. Uh, for the, the now we have to ask where did all that bureaucracy come from in the state and really what price do we in, uh, continue to pay for it and uh, th this 
in a way, uh, it's one thing to, to celebrate the people who gave, made sacrifices, took risks uh, for independence and whatever, but I do think it's very important uh, that the full, you, you have helped enormously by giving the, these memories. I just want to finish then to say that, is that uh, as we go into the next period, therefore, now, rediscovery, re-examination, as Rick Hare would put it, uh, conducting narratives of hospitality and so forth, uh, will be challenged. And then I haven't said anything about the contribution, of course, uh, uh, from uh, a nationalist Northern Ireland, in a way, uh, one hopes that the peace process will uh, deepen. I think there are many places where it has yet to take hold. I think this is certainly, as you can hear from what's in the papers every day, this week, last week in particular, there are places where attitudes haven't changed. Uh, there are assumptions in relation uh, to whether, in fact, we are two sovereign countries alongside each other with uh, uh, the capacity to make each other's mistakes and take each other's decisions and so forth. So. I think doing this kind of work, saying that, remember, I think it's a great, actually, uh, uh, as you would say, folorif, a kind of warning to governments and establishments everywhere. Be careful how you set up your version of history uh, and stay open because it is necessary. And at any time, uh, people like the authors and the contributors to this book here might come forward and give you a far more complex story than you ever expected. I reached three slim lessons who there are far the continent, grew the physiosol, or stigmon irut the vichastal, akahoire helish nahak, yatsan and the editors are Kira Boyle and Sarah Buckley, or Spartolum, and three slim levagas lessons, Claudori, the four courts press. Is I'm sorry for having been so long, but regard it, please, as a compliment to your book as to what it provoked in the precedent. Good evening, Mahaki.